Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Shamakar Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And uh, I need to congratulate Mr. Sandy this week because I understand he's been handed his black belt in Ikea. How you doing, mate? Oh my God, Simon. I don't know if they make things difficult and harder as things go on. Uh, and I don't know if they're trying to frustrate customers in not assembling the furniture and bits and pieces at home and rather go for, you know, their service, which costs $80 a piece. Don't know what that is in pounds, but like 50 quid a yeah. piece. But yeah spent this weekend building a lot of ikea furniture as i kind of transition into a, a new house a new home for me and the missus and uh, it was work it was definitely work I, I ended up using a lot of muscles i haven't used in a while so the body is a little bit aching and a little bit sore but it's all good it's all positive stuff and um and that's it hopefully i don't have to think about building any more ikea furniture for for many many years to come yeah i moved i moved into our new place uh last march so it's, it's almost is it yeah it's almost been a year now since we've been here um and uh sorry two years two years no one year and um we uh obviously had to do the whole ikea thing and yeah. uh the good thing is once you're in you can sit back and say well i'll never have to do that again yeah, yeah. except my daughter has decided that she now wants to sleep on a, a proper bed rather than this mid-sleeper thing and the horrific set that we built for her so now we're going to have to dismantle that, which is going to be. That'd be nice. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got to get a whole load more, more stuff in. So uh, my, my, my Ikea days are not yet over, but self-assembly woes aside, we have got a hell of a show for you this week. Um, UFC on ABC one kicked off the UFC's 2021 schedule uh, at the weekend. And, uh, the clubhouse leader for fight of the year is going to take some beating Max Holloway and Calvin Cater. We will talk about that on this show. Uh, but of course, um, the event and the fight that everybody's talking about is UFC 257, Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor two, the rematch that goes down Saturday night. It is live on pay-per-view on BT sport box office in the UK. Obviously it's pay-per-view stateside and in Canada, um it's a huge fight the first pay-per-view to kick off the year we will talk about that on this show and obviously before we finish off we will also throw in a very quick preview of wednesday night's ufc event we have wednesday night fights this week um with uh, michael chiesa and neil magny headlining a card that was originally going to be leon edwards and hamzat chimaev leon edwards if he didn't have bad luck he wouldn't have any luck at all the poor guy. Fingers crossed it all comes together for him as things go on in 2021. But Sandu, someone who really went into uh, Fight Island looking to make a statement was Max Holloway. And uh, if anybody thought that this guy's best days were behind him, then my goodness me, they need to sit down and re-watch his fight against Calvin Cater. That's the best Max Holloway I've ever seen. And I've been lucky enough to be at a fair few of his fights over the years. And I have not seen him put in a performance at that level for all five rounds. And they, they said early on in commentary that he just gets better as the rounds go on. And that's exactly what happened. 50-43, 50-43 and 50-42 against the number six guy in the world, Calvin Cater, who a lot of people thought was a dark horse for a title shot. Uh, he's not getting one anytime soon. Max Holloway absolutely took him to the cleaners. Huge performance. And, uh, 
what was your reaction sitting and watching it on Saturday night? Because I was, I can't, can't really put into words just how impressed I was. I thought he was outstanding. Same as you, Simon. It's the best Max Holloway performance I've ever seen. And you could make a really good case for one of the best performances by any fighter in the history of the sport. I saw a post from John Anik, and there's only a handful of people who have been able to sit cage side and get the best seat in the house to watch as many fights specifically in the UFC as John Anik. You're maybe talking a dozen or so people who have seen as many fights up close and personal like John has. And he credited that performance as the best individual performance he's ever seen, which is high praise coming from John Anik. And I respect it. And I think everybody else has to respect it too. But prior to this performance, Max's best you know, performance that I had seen was against Ortega. I was there cage side for that one in, in, in Toronto. And I thought that was the best. And, you know, that was the peak. A lot of questions going into this one, Simon. You know, obviously he's, you know, suffered two back-to-back losses uh, to Volkanovski. We're talking about the result here, not the performance, the result. And he needed to make a statement. And boy, did he. Broke records left, right, and center for significant strikes which I don't think will be topped ever again unless it's him, (laughs) the one that's actually doing it. And it's the first card of the year, the first main event of the year. It's a big deal in the States with it being on ABC, kicking off this run of events on Fight Island. So, you know, you've got so much tension, so so many eyeballs on the UFC this specific week because of that Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier pay-per-view at the end of the week. And my goodness, if anybody thought how on earth is Max Holloway going to get another run and another shot of Alexander Volkanovsky? If anybody thought, you know, there's, you know, you got you, there's, there's questions, you know, hanging over here, the validity and the if he was even deserving of getting a title shot again, that's all gone away now. He is dead cert going to get that crack. He's going to get a, a chance to fight the winner of Alexander Volkanovsky versus Brian Ortega. And if it's Volkanovsky, you do it a third time around. I don't think anybody will say otherwise just because of the performance he put in on Saturday night. I mean, you know, he's 29 years old. He was the younger of the two men. And it looks like, like you said, Simon, he keeps getting better and better. And obviously styles make fights. Would he be able to do what he did on Saturday night, you know, against Calvin Cato, you know, against Volkanovsky? That remains to be seen. You know, Volkanovski is a champ for a reason, and he's had, uh, you know, plenty of minutes in there with Max Holloway. So he knows how to put together a game plan and a strategy, and and he's the best of the best. He is the current champion. So we'll see what happens. But right now, Max Holloway is the number one contender, and he should go on to fight the winner of Alexander Volkanovski versus Bron Ortega. Just take your hat off to the lad. I mean, an absolute legendary performance. Take a bow, Max Holloway, and yeah. I, like yourself, like fans and members of the media, were just in awe of what he did on Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's always the way. I think I tweeted after the fight that recency bias is 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 always a thing when you just, you've just sat and watched something and it takes your breath away. And then, obviously, you know, the superlatives come flying up, you know, straight after that. But I do think that was one of the best best individual performances I've ever seen in the UFC. It was, it was outstanding. He broke eight UFC records. On fight night, significant strikes attempted in a fight. The previous record was 515. He attempted 744. He also broke the record for strikes landed. 
Previous record was 290. He landed 445 strikes in a five-round fight. That is insane. Distance strikes landed. He, uh, he, he didn't come far short of doubling the record there. 281 previously, 439 now. Uh, he also beat the significant head strikes record, significant body strikes landed record, significant strikes landed in a round, 141 strikes in a round. Total strikes landed and total strikes attempted. All of those are new UFC records, and it's going to take a hell of a performance to uh, to get anywhere near to beating those records. A word for Calvin Cater, though, because he he was always in the fight. You know, the, the, I know like the commentary towards the end of the fight, we're talking about, should we think about sort of pulling him out of the fight at this point? He was clearly losing heavily and the 10, eight rounds were starting to come. Calvin Cater is a knockout artist and he was still in there swinging and he was, he was connecting at points. There were times where I thought Max is getting a little bit, a little bit too confident standing there throwing because he wasn't, he wasn't dipping and weaving at points and he was getting clipped by the, by, by the time he got to like the fifth round, he was he was in sort of full Ali shuffle mode, sort of leaning back and you know sort of uh, swerving his way out of shots and looking absolutely superb. But Cater landed a fair few shots of his own. Holloway showed a great chin and a combination of Cater's toughness and his ability to still be throwing shots back despite the non-stop barrage that he was taking meant that the fight was able to continue. It's why Max was able to absolutely destroy all eight of those UFC striking records. Um, and uh, it's one of the reasons why we're so high on Max Holloway's performance. Uh, lesser fighters would have crumbled much, much, much earlier in that fight. Uh, not so Calvin Cater, who will come again for sure and will, will remain a contender at 145 pounds. But pff, Max Holloway, man, what a, what a performance. What a performance. The question now is the likely next matchup. You you said it's got to be a title shot, Sandu. He's sticking around on Fight Island. He said, I'm happy to step in on Saturday night. If anyone has a little hiccup and, you know, I'm able to step in and fight 155 pounds, I'll do that. Maybe Khabib was impressed. We talked about um, last week what's going to happen with Khabib. We now kind of know what's going to happen with Khabib. Uh, not a lot at the moment is is the long and short of it. They are they are keeping their cards close to their chest. When I saw the uh, the announcement being trailed, I assumed that we had a definitive course of action planned. I think we've got a definitive course of action, but they're not telling us yet. I think if Connor wins the fight, they're going to do the Connor fight. I think if Connor loses the fight, I don't necessarily think that Khabib's going to want to come back to fight Dustin Poirier again. So. I think that's one of the reasons why they're 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 holding things back a little bit. Um, I don't think they want to make that. That's why that Conor McGregor fight is not a title fight, in my opinion. I think, um, or, or why it isn't even an interim title fight or a title eliminator. So we'll see how it all goes. They've kind of made it a um, whoever impresses us the most gets the shot at Khabib. Do you honestly think, Sandu, that if Conor McGregor edges past Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker destroys Michael Chandler that they're going to give Dan Hooker the Khabib fight over Connor because I don't not a chance in hell so number one I think with regards to, to Khabib's the announcement or the decision here's the, the positive I'm taking away from the situation Simon six months ago or yeah about six months ago now I think it was all over 
Khabib's retiring, and the reason he gave was so emotional. You know, his his mother doesn't want him to fight anymore. His father has just passed away. Takes off the gloves, does the whole bit, and it's and it's done and dusted. I think if he wasn't going to come back, that we would just know by now. And I think this past weekend would have been a you know greatest time as ever to say, "Yep, I've spoken to Khabib." It's not going to happen. The fact that he specifically said, and again, this is via Dana White, but the fact that he specifically said via Dana White showed me something. It means he's willing to be enticed to come back for one more should someone do something spectacular in his words, right? So what does that say to me? Well, obviously it's the main event. And it's specifically Connor. If Dustin wins the fight, I don't think they do Khabib versus Dustin too. We saw how that fight went down. The winner of Michael Chandler versus Dan Hooker, not a big enough name, not a big enough draw, not a big enough opponent for Khabib at this stage. Just it just I just don't see that fight happening for whatever reason, right? For me, it's Connor wins spectacularly, they do the Connor rematch. Or B, and I think this is still in play, the GSP fight. And I think you know, even if Connor wins, and it's maybe not spectacular, or say, for example, if Dustin Poirier wins, Khabib relinquishes the title, and he then vies to try and get that GSP fight, but it's at a catch weight. Maybe it's at 160, 165, whatever. 170, maybe even. Who knows? Right? Dana White said Khabib's uh, not really interested in GSP anymore. There was a little bit of a snippet um, from Khabib, I guess, interrupting um, an interview with the Schmo and Matt Sarah that I saw earlier on today where he's still talking about GSP. So unless I hear it from Khabib's mouth, hey, you know what? I know my dad wanted me to fight GSP and I've been talking about fighting GSP for, for years. That's not the case anymore. And until I hear that, I think he's still absolutely interested in fighting George St. Pierre. I think the UFC and Dana White, they're more interested in him fighting Conor McGregor because... That's the money fight. And if Connor wins, it sets up a potential trilogy. You've got 1A and 1B, the two biggest stars in the UFC right now in their prime. You know, that's the fight you make. Um, so me personally, I am more confident now than I was a week ago that Khabib is going to fight and he is going to come back for one more. The opponent remains to be seen and we'll see what the outcome is this this upcoming weekend. Uh, that may give us a hint of what direction that may go. Yeah, I mean Max Holloway was sort of vying for a, a trying to trying to get himself in there potentially. I mean, it was a fight that nearly happened. It was a fight that nearly happened. UFC two twenty three, that crazy crazy week in Brooklyn. Um, all manner of chaos happened that week. Of course, the, the uh, infamous bus attack from uh, from Conor McGregor, which really sparked the whole rivalry and took it to a you know, to a whole new level, but Max Holloway was going to fight on that card. Max Holloway was going to step in for Tony Ferguson, who let's not forget injured himself after tripping over a cable on a Fox TV studio. Um, Max said, I'll step in and do it. The commission, the New York commission uh, wouldn't clear it because I think because he didn't have the fights at 55. I think that was the basic problem. Um, so, they, they, you know, they weren't, or, or either that, or they weren't happy with him cutting weight at such short notice. So, whatever it was, he didn't get the fight. Al Iaquinta got the fight, and Khabib picked up the title, and uh, on he went from there. But yeah, 
I don't know. I mean, Max Holloway has to fight for the belt next, surely. He has to fight for the belt. And if Brian Ortega wins, it's the easiest match in the world to book because Brian Ortega will have the belt and he will be wanting a bit of revenge. Um, and Max Holloway will be uh, sort of knocking down the doors at UFC HQ going, say, saying, look, I smoked this kid, you know, put me back in there. I'll do it again. Um, it's a bit more tricky if Volkanovski gets it. Um but I think you can't deny Holloway after a performance like that. It was, it was, it was just too good. It was yeah. just too good. Um, elsewhere on the card, the co-main event was one that I think I described it on last week's show as being either one of those fights where you walk away feeling really, really happy, or you come away feeling, you know, a little bit sad because you had, you had uh, Carlos Condit and Matt Brown, both veterans of the sport, been through so, so many wars. What we didn't want to see was a fighter uh, a fight where one or both of the fighters come out of it looking really terrible, looking too shot worn to really be getting in the cage. We didn't get that. We got a good fight. We got a really good fight. Carlos Condit got the job done, 30-27s, um, and um, super, really, really solid performance from him. He looks like he's back in some sort of form. I don't know who he's going to fight next, but... Um, I would imagine he's going to get a relatively high-profile opponent next time out, Sandy. Well, look, that was the first time Carlos Condit has scored back-to-back wins in nine years. That is mad to think. He's finally on a run with back-to-back victories for the first time in that long of a, a, in a span of time. But you're right. Competitive fight, good performance by Carlos Condit. In the, immediately, I'm thinking, okay, he's got a couple of wins now. There's been this idea from the Nick Diaz camp that he's been training, you know, during the pandemic, he's isolated himself, got back into shape again, and he wants to make a comeback. What better comeback fight for both Nick Diaz, you know, than to fight Carlos Condit. Carlos Condit, that's a high, that's probably the best high profile fight you could, you know, wish for right now in terms of getting eyeballs on you and getting a marquee fight. And obviously there's history there. They fought once before for the interim welterweight championship which Carlos Condit obviously won. I'm sure Nick Diaz would want to get that one back. And so immediately after the fight, I'm thinking, that's the fight. That's the fight you should make. And then all of a sudden, I see the the tweet from Ariel that that was actually Carlos Condit's final fight on his current UFC contract. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, what's going to happen now? We know that the UFC, you know, are or they already have been letting go of their roster. There's probably more coming. We've seen a lot of the the elderly statesmen of the roster depart with some big names, you know, in the mix there. Carlos Condit, for me, has always been a UFC slash WEC fighter. He's been one of the the UFC OGs, right? It will be pretty damn weird to see him be, you know, fighting elsewhere, whether it be Bellator, One Championship, PFL, what have you. But he has fought out his contract for a reason. He is currently a free agent. So watch this space. I hope that he does re-sign with the UFC because I feel like the UFC could use him and there are still some interesting fun fights for him to make for him. He's not fighting for a championship anytime soon. He's not fighting a top five, top six, top seven guys anytime soon. I think he's well past his prime, but he's competitive. And I think with the right, with the right guys, you can make some really good, interesting, fun fights for him. And you know the, the fan base loves him. You know, you always tune in for a Carlos Condit fight. So 
being, my, my fingers crossed he sticks with the UFC. That's where I'd like him to, to, to be. But with the way the industry is at the moment, Simon, you just don't know what's going to happen. And I would... I would be surprised. I would be surprised if he did go elsewhere, but I wouldn't be that surprised just given the lay of the land right now. Yeah, I mean, from a from a a respect and contribution to the UFC point of view, Carlos Condit should be going nowhere, right? He should be getting another deal, and they should be getting him some some good fights. But actually, if you take a step back and look at his situation, he's one of the he's one of the older, longer serving guys on that in that welterweight division. You don't want to turn him into a gatekeeper kind of fighter who you feed, you feed, uh, feed him to the young guns on the way up because I think that does Carlos a disservice. I think um, I, I just don't think that's that's the that's the way that he's going to want to finish his career. So I wonder whether a change might not be the, the the worst idea. I mean, Bellator's welterweight division is pretty stacked. There's a lot going on at 170 pounds. There's a lot of really interesting matchups you could make. Uh, and being the Brit pack, you know, Carlos Condit versus Paul Daly, anyone? Yeah, I'd watch that. Carlos Condit versus MVP, anyone? Yeah, put me down for that one as well. So there are some there are some decent options knocking around at 170 pounds under the Bellator banner. And of course, the PFL are now a, a, a viable option for some of these guys. You know, Carlos Condit fits the mold for the PFL. He's another guy who, if they did sign him, He's another guy who used to carry a UFC championship belt. You know, he was the interim welterweight champion. That's more shine for the PFL, more kudos for the PFL. They've already got a guy, um, a former title challenger in Rory McDonald, who is the uh, clear favorite to win that welterweight tournament later this year. Carlos Condit in the mix would certainly liven things up a bit as well. So I think, and, and for Carlos, getting into a tournament like that, I think might, might uh, excite him. Likewise, a host of fresh matchups in Bellator might excite him as well. So I don't think leaving the UFC would be a particularly terrible move for Carlos at this point in his career. Because my fear is if he doesn't face a Nick Diaz or someone like that next, who's left for him to fight? You know, there aren't, I don't think he's got this list of legend type fighters or fighters who have had the sort of career that he's had that he can get in there with and, and, have interesting fights with because they've a lot of those guys are, are kind of on 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 the outs now. You know they're all kind of leaving. So, um, I mean, Robbie Lawler's still about. You could have a rematch of Robbie Lawler. That was a hell of a fight at UFC 195. Um, that was like New Year's Day or second of Jan or something back in 2016, 2017. Um, and um, yeah, but I mean, beyond someone like Robbie Lawler and Nick Diaz, I don't know what's left in the UFC for Carlos Condit that's really going to get those get those juices flowing and get people really really interested to sit down and watch maybe the better the, the better move is to play the field see what's out there i think Bellator's a good switch i think the PFL the field in the PFL probably won't be as strong but i think it's an option for him it's something different it's a fresh challenge but i don't know wherever he's going whether he stays at the UFC or whether he goes to the PFL, whether he goes to Bellator, wherever he ends up, I'm watching because he's one of my all-time favorite fighters to watch. And uh, it was uh, it was it was a great moment watching him watching him get the win on Saturday night, and still not looking overly impressed with himself afterwards. He always you never see him di- sort of jumping around the cage, going mad when he wins fights. He's just not that kind of guy. But um, someone who was jumping around the cage. Um, 
to sort of move things on, Sandu. Um, not immediately, though. Li Jingliang spent some time to make sure that Santiago Ponzinibbio was okay before he got up on the cage and started shouting, the leech, I am the leech, I'm here, and whatever else it was, he was screaming at the camera. But we had two huge knockouts back-to-back, and we'll, we'll talk about them both, one after the other. Let's talk about Li Jingliang, though, Sandu. Going in there against Santiago Ponzinibbio, who we spoke about on last week's show, had this absolutely terrible couple of years where he was away from the sport for ages, but he had that seven-fight win streak. He was on the verge of potentially putting himself in line to, to you know, compete for a belt at 170 pounds, comes back after two years and gets his clock cleaned by Li Jingliang. It was, it was a shocking result. It was a shocking result and uh, a huge, huge performance from Li Jingliang, who uh, a lot of people really enjoy watching. It was, it was quite, quite the uh, stat. Well, in most other fight cards, that would have been the moment of the night. But of course we know, we know uh, what else happened on the fight card, but uh, it was a big one, wasn't it? Yeah, I wasn't too shocked, to be honest with you, Simon. I'm not going to lie, because Santiago Ponzanib has been out for a couple of years. He's been through a lot physically, um, and that's a long time to be out. Ring rust is a real thing, plus he's getting up there in age. And to, to give credit to, to Li Jingliang, yeah, he was coming off um, a loss to Neil Magny. It was a decision that he was coming out, you know, c- coming off in terms of a loss. And I think his... The last couple of losses he's had in the UFC have been decisions. So it's not as if he's been getting knocked out or anything like that. And we know when he's on form, he can, you know, deliver some punch power. And we saw that, you know, in, in evidence on, on Saturday night. But um, if anything, it was just kind of a little bit heartbreaking to see Santiago Ponzanibi come back after what he's been through and then get absolutely destroyed in that manner. Because he had all this momentum. He had this incredible win streak. We spoke about, you know, how the UFC really, um, you know, like some of the guys, you know, like Santiago Ponzanibio in that South America, Latin America market. And obviously him representing Argentina, that was definitely a place they've been to before. COVID not being a thing, probably uh, a place that they would want to go back to again with perhaps Santiago Ponzanibio headlining. Devastating loss. Um, I don't know what else to say. It's, he's he's going to have to dust it off, take some time off, uh, try and, you know, come back. And for the leech, you know, what a what a marquee win. You know, he'd just taken all that thunder away, you know, from from Santiago Ponzanibio. All that, you know, work that he put in, that win streak, that's now given Li Jingliang, you know, all that cachet. So gonna be interesting to see what happens with the leech next. Yeah, he needs he needs to uh he needs to be facing someone with a number next to his name next time out, definitely. Um and uh you know, as you say, when he's on, he is a dangerous man at 170 pounds. As for Santiago, that wasn't the real Santiago Ponzinibbio. The question is, will we see the real Santiago Ponzinibbio again? Or has have the events of the last two years really taken it out of him? Um, the problem now is he can't just... Normally, if you lose a fight and uh, you've been out for a while, you want to just get straight back in there again. You want to go roll straight back into another fight camp and get straight back in there because you've kind of blown the ring rust off at that point. And it's like, right, now I'm really ready. Let's go do it. But you got KO'd, Sandy. So that's not going to happen. He's going to have to go through a period of, of uh, no, no contact until he gets medically cleared. It's normally uh, 60 or 90 days, I think, for, for, you know, for a knockout. So uh, that one was a bad one. So it, it, might, it might be three months. He might be th- out three months before he can even train properly again. So, plus he's got the COVID issues and all the rest of it. So, training is tough to come by. So, um, 
tricky, tricky times for Santiago Ponzinibbio. We wish him well. Uh, and I would imagine we probably won't see him until late summer at best now, but we'll, we'll see. We'll keep, we'll keep an eye out and we'll see who Li Jingliang gets next as well. If that fight didn't surprise you as much as it could have done, maybe the one that preceded it did. Um, Alessio de Chirico knocking out Joachim Buckley with a head kick in the first round. And my goodness me, like when the UFC booked this fight, put it on the first card on ABC and put it on the main card as well. They did it because they were looking for a highlight real moment. I'm, sh- I'm sure of it. Buckley, who'd already hit the knockout of the year last year and then destroyed Jordan Wright in the next fight as well. Going in there against a tough Italian who his record said he'd never been knocked out, but had also lost his last three fights. So they put all the pieces in place as if to say, okay, Mr. Buckley, the stage is yours. You have the audience. We've given you a solid opponent, but he's he's not he's not in form. He hasn't been knocked out before. Go do your best. And then Alessio de Chirico just took the script, tore it up, and uh knocked out Joachim Buckley with an absolutely perfect head kick, absolutely perfectly executed head kick. One of the, one of the best knockouts you'll see uh, this year. I know it's only January the 18th as we record this, but you're going to do well to find too many better head kick knockouts than that uh, in 2021. So huge win for him. Um, But uh, being, being a, a, you know, our, our, our social media guru here, Sandu, we know that Buckley was trending like a wild man when he knocked out Impa Kasanganai. What was the social reaction when it was him on the receiving end getting knocked out on Saturday? I mean, it was good. It wasn't Buckley good. It wasn't, mm. you know, Kanye West isn't putting out a music video on his Instagram account without Buckley KO in, you know, revolving and repeating on the, in the background. Look, we've seen head kick knockouts like this before. What Buckley did last year was once in a lifetime. You know, it's, we haven't seen anything like that uh, ever. Uh, in the UFC, which is why it was so spectacular. But that's why the sport is so unpredictable, Simon. You know, and it's the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. Buckley was, you know, on the receiving end of so much adulation and praise, and his social media blew up because of what he did last year. And then here we are. And like you said, it was all set up for him, you know, to to put in another another good performance and continue to build his name off of that highlight reel KO. And then what happens? He's the one on the receiving end of a devastating knockout. So that's why we love the sport. This stuff can happen. These things do happen in MMA, as the saying goes. And what can I say? You know, Joaquin Buckley, it's not as if he's not the real deal. Maybe he has a little bit more work to do. But this fight was set up for him to win. You know, it's not as if he's fighting top 15 contenders or anything like that. So tough one to swallow for him. I think he's going to be very disappointed with himself. Um, at the moment, just given the opportunity that he had to, to continue to build that momentum. But all the credit in the world has to go to the chap, Alessio Di Chirico. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, because for him, he's probably saved his UFC career and um, he's probably going to get a few more fights just given what he did on Saturday night. Yeah, definitely. I'll tell you what it hasn't changed. Joachim Buckley is must-see TV whenever he gets into a cage. He's had four fights in the UFC. All four of those fights have ended in a pretty devastating knockout. Uh, Two of them have gone his way, and two of them very much haven't. So um, it's been a little bit all or nothing for 
for Numanza, uh, Joachim Buckley inside the octagon so far, but it has been compelling stuff to watch and uh, I'm sure he will be desperate to get back in there and to put things right a little bit later this year. That was UFC on ABC one, a fun night of fights for sure. Great way to kick off the year. And uh, with like Max Holloway putting in that sort of masterclass performance in the main event. And, uh, it, you know, we couldn't really ask for any better. We've got a midweek show, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the one that the one that we really need to talk about, Sandu, is what's going to happen on Saturday night. UFC 257, Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor 2, a rematch of their fight at UFC 178, which ended very quickly. Uh, Conor McGregor winning that one by knockout. Are we going to get the same? Are we going to get the same? Dustin Poirier says it's good. he's hoping for some blood and guts. Conor McGregor says he's going to dust him in. Uh, he's going to dust Dustin in sixty seconds or less. So, where do you lean on this? I know we both said on last week's show that we think we're you know we're both kind of leaning towards Conor McGregor getting the job done. How do you see this fight now compared to the fight the first time round? Much has changed since that first fight. It's going to be way more competitive than the first time around for a few different reasons. Number one, it's at lightweight. The first time they fought, it was at featherweight. So they're not going to be as depleted. Number two, they're more experienced. They've got a ton more experience than they did the first time around. Connor obviously has fought in major pay-per-view events. He's been champion. He, he knows how to handle himself on the biggest of stages. Dustin Poirier, the first time he fought Conor McGregor, I think the mind games got to him. Conor definitely got inside his head. And Dustin's been very open and honest about that. This time around, I think Dustin mentally is a lot more tougher. You know, he's fought Khabib. He's 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 fought for the championship. He's been an interim champion. He's he's come as close as you can possibly get to being the undisputed champion, and just failing. You know, at at the biggest moment. So for him, this is a second chance. I feel like Connor's going to win if he does do what he predicts, which is knock out Dustin Poirier inside 60 seconds, then what Dana White and Khabib and the UFC are looking for in terms of something spectacular, he would have definitely checked that box. I don't know what more what what could be any more spectacular than knocking out Dustin Poirier faster than how you finished him the first time around. And if that's what Khabib's you know, le- you know, legit, honestly looking for, that's going to get the job done. Personally, though, I don't think it's going to go that way. I feel like this could even go the 425. I feel like this could be a war. I feel like this could be a back and forth fight. And it's a huge moment for Dustin. This is honestly his second opportunity. A Conor McGregor fight is the second best thing, maybe sometimes even better than fighting for a UFC championship, given what the stakes are, whether you get pay-per-view points and all the rest of it. Shout out Nate Diaz, right? But for, for, for Dustin right now, he this is a this is a big one. If he, if he really wants to get as close to an, a title opportunity again, he needs to win this weekend. Likewise for Connor, he's been away for a year. He fought Donald's Cowboy Cerrone, which was, like we spoke about last week, as close to a warm-up fight as you're going to get in this sport. Now he's been away for a year. He's back. He's fighting a legit top, top guy, which is all the fans wanted. They don't want to see Connor fighting Donald Cerrone's, Diego Sanchez's. and They want to see him fighting the best of the best because he's one of the best of the best right he wins this weekend his next fight is going to be for a ufc lightweight championship which is what he wants 
certainly what the UFC wants. Whether he ends up fighting Khabib or somebody else, that all remains to be seen. But the stakes are high, Simon. The stakes are high. He's arrived in a yacht on a yacht on Fight Island. So the bells and whistles are all there. He's doing it in Conor McGregor style, you know, showboating, styling and profiling like like an old Ric Flair used to in, in his prime. So the swagger is back. The chat is back. Will the Mac be back on fight night? I can't wait. I'm absolutely buzzing for this one. Yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole dynamic this time because the way this fight came together was very cordial. You know, it was it started out as a charity boxing match in Dublin um, when the UFC wouldn't book Connor for a fight, if you remember rightly. Um, and then all of a sudden the wheels started turning and eventually here we are, main event fight Ireland, first pay-per-view of 2021. And I think the fight being at lightweight is, is, is a crucial thing here. Uh, I think Dustin Poirier's ability to take punches is going to be a lot better at 55. Having said that, I don't think he can stand in front of Conor McGregor too long. Honestly, and I kind of hate myself for saying this because everyone loves to see a good old-fashioned tear-up, but if I were Mike Brown, um, Dustin Poirier's coach, I would I would be drilling takedowns like there is no tomorrow. Lull him in, in sort of work your way and punch your way into range, yeah, then get the fight to the mat. Get the fight to the mat. You... Conor McGregor has struggled when he's when he's been put down on the mat. When Chad Mendes took him down uh, at UFC 189, he he bossed him on the mat, and eventually it was a lack of conditioning from Mendes once the fight got back to the feet that really cost him. All those takedowns really hurt him in the end, and McGregor just hit him to the body and then eventually knocked him out. Um, and but obviously the Khabib fight, we saw what happened there. Poirier has got solid wrestling skills. Um, he's great. He's great with the stand-up, but he does tend to get dragged into firefights a little bit too much. I think Connor is too is too clinical of a striker to be to be playing that game. So Dustin Poirier, I know most of you know. You think of Dustin Poirier, you think of wild wild slugfest with the likes of Justin Gaethje. If he fights like that, he's going to get smoked by Conor McGregor. I think he needs to fight smart, um, and if he does, I think he's got a chance. Having said that, I think that Conor McGregor will still win the fight. I think he'll stop him in the middle rounds. I think he'll beat him in. I think he'll stop him in like the third or the fourth round. Um, but I do think I do think that this is this is a winnable fight for Dustin Poirier if he does if he does things the right way if he if he adopts the right tactics. Um, and uh, you've got you've got to take Conor off his feet. You've got to take his his big weapon off him. Which is his, which 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 is that huge left hand. So, um, if you can take that away from him, he's got a chance. But I, I, just, I think this is Conor McGregor's fight to win. I really do. And uh, as I'm going to be fascinated to see how he approaches um, the microphone afterwards, because he's been relatively respectful. He's he's appeared to be a bit more, um, I wouldn't say reserved, but a bit more considered in the things that he's been saying, even with regard to Khabib. I know he said a few, a few things to try and push his buttons this week saying that he's not a real fighter in my book and uh, he's scurried away and all the rest of it. But he did put a little caveat at the end saying, you know, there were, there were reasons for that and, you know, I wish him well and all of this. So it's just how much 
Conor McGregor turns up that that sort of rhetoric after the fight. Is it gonna? Is he just gonna light the blue touch paper all over again? Because if he does that, Khabib can just stick two fingers up at him and say, "Nah, I'm all right. I don't need to come back." But if he comes back and says, "Here you go, Khabib. I've just beaten Dustin Poirier. Who else are you gonna fight?" And and you know, do it a little bit. I mean, obviously, you know, give him give him a little bit of a a playful jab. But I think if he goes down the hate route, I don't know if he's going to get the fight. So it's going to be a bit of a balancing act, I think. But I'm really looking forward to this fight. I think it's going to be an absolute banger. And uh, I'll be surprised if he gets it done in 60 seconds. But this is this is Mystic Matt we're talking about, Sandy. So, so who the hell knows? But given that Khabib said that he's looking for people to impress him, apparently, um, I don't, I don't buy that by the way, but, um, given that that's what's apparently been said and they kind of use that to sort of crank up the stakes a little bit for the co-main event as well. It puts a little bit of extra spotlight on Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler Hooker real crowd pleaser of a fighter. He's been in there with the best of them at 155 pounds. He's right up there. Uh, Michael Chandler untested in UFC waters has done the business in Bellator, three-time lightweight champion in Bellator. Um, this is a fascinating fight. I'm, I had to submit my pick for MMA Junkie for this, and I really struggled. I, I, had to, I, I had to sort of sit down and have a proper think about how I wanted to go about it, but I'd be fascinated to know which way you're leaning with this, Sandy, because you've got the, you've got the guy who's tenured in the UFC. He's, he's been in there for a while. He's fought a lot of top guys. He's worked his way up. And then you've got Michael Chandler, who has looked outstanding in a rival organization, but hasn't fought on the big stage with the UFC before against these top 55ers in the UFC. So which way are you leaning for this one? I think I'm just leaning towards Dan Hooker here, Simon, if I'm being honest. Michael Chandler has a ton of pressure on his shoulders this weekend. He's not just making his UFC debut, Simon. He's doing so as one half of the co-main event on a Conor McGregor pay-per-view. That spotlight is massive. Yes, he's fought in main events and big events for Bellator, but nothing even comes close to compare to what he's going to be dealing with this weekend. There's more media on site than any other UFC event over the course of the last year. So media obligations will be through the roof because it's a Conor McGregor fight week. So you'll have to deal with that. Tons of questions about pressure, making a UFC debut and all the rest of it. I feel like of the two, I'm more confident in Dan Hooker's ability to be mentally tough for this moment. I don't know why that is. and I can't put my finger on it specifically. Maybe it's because he's just coming off a main event fight with, with Dustin Poirier. So, you know, that's, pretty good experience in terms of popping the bill in the UFC. Maybe it's because he's a Kiwi and they are mentally tough and resilient as it is. Maybe it's because he's younger than Michael Chandler. You know, Michael Chandler, have we already seen the best of him in Bellator? That, that's a, that's a, a, a good question to, to be asked at this stage, I think. He, he, did, he didn't leave Bellator as a champion. He, he left Bellator with some wins under his belt, but he wasn't the rainy defending champion. He lost that. So let's see what happens. And also, it's, it's been a while since he fought. <coughs> you know, Dan Hooker's fought more more, more, more recently th th than 
than Michael Chandler. So I am leaning just a little bit more in favor of Dan Hooker winning this weekend. And, and I feel as though, if anything, his performance as Dustin Poirier was such a great exercise for him, such a great learning experience that he's going to come back better than he was before as well. So there's there's so many more unknowns about Michael Chandler than there are in comparison to, to Dan Hooker, which is why I am in the lead slightly, just slightly, towards Dan Hooker here. This is interesting because I'm leaning towards Michael Chandler. Mm. Um one thing I'll, I'll I'll just correct you on. Michael Chandler actually fought more recently than Dan Hooker did. Um, oh, really? Yeah, Michael Chandler fought August seventh last year and absolute and, and knocked out Benson Henderson in a round um, at Bellator two forty three. I covered that event, and um, although not not from the event, but uh, yeah, that and and that was a huge performance. I mean, he he'd fought Benson Henderson previously while he was the Bellator lightweight champion and won by split decision back in 2016. They rematched last August, and he put Benson Henderson away. I believe that is the one and only time that Benson Henderson has been knocked out in his career, um, and it happened the last time Michael Chandler got into the Bellator cage. So, yeah, That's too mad. For, for me, I just kept thinking the Poirier-Hooker fight was so much more recent in my mind Thank you for correct me on, correcting me on that, June. by the way. I mean, you know, you know they are pretty close. They so are disregard pretty... anything that I said about that then. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't factor into my equation whatsoever. <laughs> but, um, but I mean, yeah, Hooker fought twice in the space of six months last year. I mean, he had Felder, went the distance, split decision in, in, in New Zealand before the pandemic kicked in. And then, obviously, he had the, he had the, the absolute war with Dustin Poirier in Vegas um, in June. Michael Chandler, we are we are picking with a lot of unknowns here. We we can we can judge him based on what we've seen inside the Bellator cage. And for me, I think Michael Chandler is an elite athlete. There are there are there are fighters that are good fighters. There are fighters that are great fighters. And Michael Chandler, as a, as a pure athlete, is absolutely. Top of the top of the milk, as Sid Waddell used to say, he is the cream of the crop. Um, and uh, Dan Hooker, when it comes to getting in there and scrapping, is as tough as they come and has, has taken that toughness, knocked off a lot of the rough edges, and he's now a legit contender. So it's a really tough one to kind of to kind of split the difference and work out who has the edge here. Um, I'm going with Chandler. I just think that Chandler, he's there's something about him that just makes me think he's ready for this. He's in the right mindset of, for, for this. He, he's super confident without ever being a, a sort of really braggadocious about it. Um, he's uber professional. He comes across really well. He always shows up in shape. And other than the, the, uh, the loss to uh, Patricio Pitbull, I know he lost to Brent Primus uh, when he initially lost his belt. Um, in 2017 that was due to a lot of real weirdness do you remember he got kicked in the back of the leg and his leg just started doing that really yeah, weird thing in his foot do you remember that um yeah. i don't think he would have lost that fight but for that weird freak injury which by the way brent primus caused with the kick so i'm certainly not doing anything against um, you know i wouldn't want to say anything against uh primus in that performance he, he, he you know he deserved the win but i think without that freak injury i think michael chandler would, would win that fight the uh, the 
Patricio Pitbull fight, he got caught. He got caught, uh, and Patricio Pitbull is a huge puncher. So that can happen. Um, but really, other than that, he's he's been he's been pretty flipping good. Um, and he's beating good guys. I mean, you know, Benson Benson Henderson is no mug, and uh, to knock him out, given that he went a distance with him, the you know over full the full five round duration. Um, I think that I think that that's a really big thing. The interesting thing with this is it is a three round fight, um, and Michael Chan is going to need to start fast. He's going to need to start fast. Dan Hooker um, settles into his work really quickly. I think uh, it, it is a really tough fight to call. I've picked Michael Chandler for MMA Junkie in my staff picks. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised regardless how this fight finishes. I really wouldn't. It's one of those coin flip jobs, but I just have a feeling that we're going to... I think Michael Chandler could really, really put himself in the title picture. If he, I think he could get a good win here and he could, he could even call out Khabib because he's completely new. He's completely new. If he goes in there and smokes Dan Hooker and says, come on, Khabib, you haven't faced the top wrestler who, who's actually prepared to use their wrestling. I'm prepared to use my wrestling. Um, I think stylistically, Chandler would be a fascinating matchup for Khabib because he's strong. He's strong in the wrestling department. He's got heavy hands and he's got superb cardio. I think they would really mesh really nicely. Um, so a fresh challenge maybe um, might interest Khabib the Magomedov. Who knows? But it's an absolute banger of a fight. It's, it's harder to pick than a broken nose, that one. But I'm I'm siding just with Michael Chandler. But uh, those two lightweight fights, Sandu, they could, both of those could go, could go either way. And uh, the question I will ask you, though, what, other than a Conor McGregor win, if, if, if we take Con, um, if we take a Conor McGregor win off the table for a second, with all due respect to Conor, is there another scenario that could play out in these two fights that you think would get Khabib back other than a Conor McGregor win? Or is that really the only thing that the UFC are holding out for right now? That's it. That's it, Simon. Um, I think for me, again, like I said, Michael Chandler, Dan Hooker, just not big enough. Just not big enough names. Um, for Khabib to come back for. I mean, look, what does he want? He's been talking about GSP. What does the UFC want? They're talking about Conor McGregor. We're talking about one, you know, in GSP, one of the biggest pay-per-view draws in history. He's retired. His legacy is cemented as one of the goats. For him to come back out of, you know, retirement to fight Khabib would be just huge news, massive, to put his legacy on the line. And also, he's a two-weight champion. You know, the list goes on and on with George St. Pierre, right? With Connor, yeah. Look, we know he's one of the biggest draws in UFC history, the biggest draw in UFC history. Khabib ain't coming back for nobody else. The only other person that would have had a chance to still be in the running would have been Tony Ferguson had he not lost two fights last year. That was it. So, no. Um, I don't want to get anyone's hopes up for no reason. I don't have my hopes up. I don't think... Charles Oliveira is getting a shot at Khabib. I don't think the winner of Hooker versus Chandler is getting the shot at Khabib. Will they get a shot at a UFC lightweight championship? Perhaps. But they're not going to get a fight against Khabib. Yeah, it's... Um, in some ways, I'm kind of unhappy with the way it's played out 
I think this whole, oh, you have to go out and impress me thing, it doesn't sit well for me. I don't think I don't think that sits sits with Khabib's character. That's why I don't think that came from Khabib, to be honest. I think that's come from Khabib telling the UFC, you need to give me something that's going to excite me. And I think that's translated as you four guys have got to go out and do something to impress Khabib. I don't, I, I, I think there's a bit of twistage has gone on here. I don't necessarily think that that is what could, I don't think that's how Khabib thinks. Um, and uh, I think if Conor McGregor goes out and gets the job done, that's the fight. That's the fight. And uh, if Conor McGregor doesn't get the job done, I think it's GSP or bust for the UFC. I don't, I, I can't imagine Khabib accepting anything else at this point, having already retired and uh, Javier Mendez actually this week, um, made the point of saying, and Javier Mendez obviously now is now Khabib's main coach. Um, let's not forget, he's got to get his mum's permission first. And he, he wasn't joking when he said that. He said, look, he retired because of his mum. He retired because of his mum. So if he is going to come back, he needs to get his mum's permission first. We had, um, we had father's plan, didn't we, going into the Justin Gaethje fight. And obviously, you know, that, that, that beautiful uh, animated video that the, the, the BT put out on their socials. Well, this one, if it happens, is going to be all about mother's plan. Because if, if, if mother says, yeah, go on then go back and have one more, make it 30, then, then we're all good. But if, if mother says, look, you don't need this. We don't need this. Um, just, just, just leave it then maybe we won't see him. You just don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'd like to think he'll come back for one more. Khabib Connor too would be absolutely insane and uh, would be a great one to do back end of this year, hopefully with some with even more fans in the building. But um, UFC 257, uh, obviously it's about those two big fights. Worth mentioning very quickly, um, the fight that precedes them, Jessica I and Joanne Calderwood. We are the Brit Pack. Jojo and Jessica I might be sort of standing in the last chance saloon here. I think if either of them want to get a shot or another shot in uh, Jessica I's case at Valentina Shevchenko, they absolutely have to win this fight. I think if whoever loses this fight, it's hard to see them coming back and, and contending for a belt at 125. It's, it's kind of win or bust for both of them. I think Um, Jessica I has been up there for, for what seems like years Joanne Calderwood's been there or thereabouts for years, first at strawweight, then at flyweight, without ever quite making it. She always got to the last hurdle and fell. A bit like Michael Bisbing did earlier in his career. Is she going to get the job done on Saturday, Sandu, and maybe push herself into that title conversation at 125? Well, I think you don't have to do too much to get yourself into a situation to, to fight Valentina Shevchenko, just given how she's murdered the entire roster in that weight class so far. And the fight against Jennifer Meyer was pretty much set up for Joanne Caldwell, where had she won, she would have been dead cert to get a, a, a crack at the title. It didn't go her way that night. But I feel like, again, given it's a Connor card, you're on the main card, it's a pay-per-view, you get a, a good, you know, you put in a good performance here and you beat someone that has fought for the title, a title challenger, then I think that might all might be it. You know, that might be all you need to put yourself into, into a position to fight for the title at some point later on this year. So I don't think the same the case is the same for Jessica I. I think if she wins, I don't think it's going to 
skyrocket her into a, a title contention situation again. So this is purely set up, in my opinion, for Joanne Calderwood, and I'm picking her to win as well. Yeah, yeah, that 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 Jennifer Meyer fight was it was all there for her, wasn't it? It was all there for her, and it just it turned into a bit of a waking nightmare for Jojo. Um and uh we've seen it happen before. Um I remember when she fought Marina Morose. Um that was a fight that at the time, I think she was a straw weight back then. It was like, okay, win this and there's big things for you. And she got arm barred really early in that fight as well. Um, and uh, she's just had these little setbacks, but fingers crossed she can go in there and uh, that, that one, that one could be a lot of fun. Both of them like to stand and trade. Um, that one could be a lot of fun. Um, also on that card is Amanda Hibas, uh, who's taken on Marina Rodriguez. That is a big fight uh for the straw weight so uh, she gets that one done she's she's right in there as well uh, at 115 but yeah it's all about those lightweight fights at the top ufc 257 sandu we should very very quickly run through what we've got coming up midweek because the early birds who pick up this show will be able to listen to this before the midweek fight card on wednesday um but uh if you've already seen the fights then You'll obviously know exactly what happens, and you'll hear how terrible our predictions are about to be. But main event, Michael Chiesa versus Neil Magny Wednesday night. We know that it was going to be Hamzat Chimaev and, and Leon Edwards. We know what happened there. Both of them have had various issues uh, relating with COVID and all the rest of it. They're off the card. Chiesa and Magny promoted to the five-round main event. Two guys who really done the hard yards in the UFC. You know, hardcore fans really know what they're getting with these two. Dana White said he was really happy to be putting them in a main event slot. I feel like they deserve it. Um, which way are you leaning with this one? This is a tough one. I almost changed my pick today and then realized I missed the deadline, so I didn't. I picked Magni, but I nearly swapped it for Chiesa, but I missed my deadline. So that's how close I am with this one. Well, first of all, I've done my homework on this one while we've been talking just to make sure I get my dates correct rather than mess it up again like I did in the, the Chandler-Hooker breakdown. But for me, this really comes down to activity. And Michael Chiesa only fought once last year, and that was back in January, a, a unanimous decision victory over Rafael Dos Anjos. Neil Magny, however, beat Li Jingliang in March, beat Anthony Rocco Martin in June, and then beat Robbie Lawler in August. So talk about someone that's got his reps in. He's got the most wins in UFC welterweight history. I'm picking Neil Magny to win here. I feel like Michael Chiesa is a good fighter, but I don't know. I, I, I never have all the confidence in the world with regards to his ability to really go to that next level. Uh, so for me, if you're going to put a gun to my head and ask me to pick one way or the other, I'm just going to lean towards Neil Magny here. Yeah, that was my thought when I when I put his name down on my predictions. I, thought, I just thought... He he he's the hot hand really. He's got he's got the run of form. He's pretty good everywhere. Um, whereas I think Kiesa is obviously the superior fighter on the mat. I think he's got the he's got the grappling to to beat Neil Magny. I don't know if his striking is quite quite good enough. I don't. It's a tough one. I think if Michael Kiesa can get the fight to the mat, it gets very very interesting. Um, but I think Magni, he's, he's as tough as they come. He's a, he's a shrewd operator. He knows what he's doing in there. It could be a really interesting matchup stylistically. I've, I've picked Magni, so I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it. But, um, I think if the fight gets, if, if Chiesa can initiate a takedown and start and, and just get involved in those scrambles that he likes to do, 
Um, he is as dangerous as anybody on the mat at 170 pounds right now. So that should be a fun one. Also on the card, Sandu, we've got um, we've got three Brits on the card. Lerone Murphy taking on Douglas Silva de Andrade. That's the first fight on the main card. We've got Amari Akmedov versus Tom Breeze. He's in the featured preliminary card spot. And also the UFC debut of former two-division Cage Warriors champion Mason Jones, undefeated. He's taking on the exciting Mike Davis. That is a great, great fight. That is a potential fight of the night kind of matchup, Mike Davis and Mason Jones. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, how do you how do you assess the chances of the three Brits? We've got three three Brits all looking to make an impact, and they've all been handed really tough assignments this weekend. Look, I think they're all capable of winning these fights, but I tell you what I like about having a lot of Brits on this card more than anything else. It's the timing, Simon. Yep. They're all going to be on showcase in a, in a time zone for that UK market where their fan base and the UK can actually see them at a reasonable hour. That's what I like more than anything. I mean, even just this past weekend, Simon, how nice was it for you guys? I mean, I loved it. I was done and dusted with the card by like, I think, eight, nine o'clock, something like that. And then it gave you a chance and an opportunity to actually still digest some of the fallout post-fight press conference and some of the, the quotes and, and the and the social bits and pieces that come out of those post-fight uh, media opportunities. So that'll be the same case this this upcoming Wednesday. You know, it's, it's at a great time, really happy for all the Brits. Uh, and like I said, I feel like all three of them have an opportunity to win here. For me, though, the big spotlight, the big kind of... Um, the guy that's got the most opportunity here, I think, is Mason Jones. I think he's got so much momentum um, coming into this fight. He's one of the guys that a lot of people are really looking at as he could be that next big thing coming out of the UK market. So looking forward to seeing what he can produce. Yeah, yeah. They're all really interesting matchups. I mean, Mason Jones, obviously, absolutely flying after after his 2020, where... Um, back-to-back -back knockout wins to pick up to pick up two different weight class championships with with cage warriors i think the one who could really stand to gain the most is tom breeze i think he's got amari akmedov um if he goes in there and beats amari akmedov impressively that we mentioned it last time out um amari akmedov narrowly lost out to chris weidman last time out if breeze goes in there and finishes akmedov then uh he can lay claim to a big opponent for his next matchup, I think. And uh, maybe we finally get to see uh, Tom Breeze moving his way up and uh, showing, well, full, basically fulfilling the potential that we've all, we've all thought that he had. And uh, Lerone Murphy, who my, my personal opinion should have two UFC wins to his name already. He got, I think he got screwed by the judges against uh, Zubaira Tukagov, which was a judge to be a draw. I thought Lerone Murphy won that fight. Um, but he started his UFC career with a draw. Uh, subsequently then picked up a win. Now he's got Douglas Silva de Andrade, who has fought at bantamweight and has fought at a very, very high level at bantamweight. He's been in there with Peter Yan and people like this, um, but he's now moving up to, to featherweight. So we may well find that Lerone is possibly the bigger man, uh, slightly bigger, slightly stronger at the weight. But uh, Douglas Silva Andrade won't have to do the uh, the horrible weight cut 
or as much of it. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. He's an all action fighter. Lerone Murphy is really slick, uh, slick striker, a uh, decent, decent grappling. So that should be a really interesting one as well. Uh, and final little footnote, we're finally going to get to see the debut of Umar Namagomedov, uh, cousin of Khabib Namagomedov, who's been booked to fight about three or four times now. I don't know what it is about having the name Namagomedov and having fights cancelled, but um, he was unlucky. He uh, he ended up hospitalised in in Dubai uh, before his uh, his previous booking ended up missing out on that matchup. He's now facing Sergey Morozov, who I think he was due to fight anyway. Uh, so same opponent. And uh, so he's finally going to get in there on fight night on Wednesday. And I think they've moved that. That was going to be on 257, but they've moved it to the Wednesday. So I wonder whether that's just to keep Khabib and Connor at arm's length so that we don't have any unnecessary uh, um, meetings along the way. Of course, they're all in the same flipping hotel at this point, I would imagine. So who knows? Who knows? But pack week of fight, Sandu. Loads going on. And uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Absolutely, absolutely loads to get stuck into this week. Wednesday night fights at a decent time. And then big pay-per-view show Saturday night on uh, on BT Sport Box Office. It should be great. You know, the other thing I noticed, obviously this past weekend's fight was great because we had, a time, we had some time off and it allowed us to really recharge the batteries and get excited for a UFC event again. So we've got the Wednesday card, got the, the big pay-per-view on the weekend. So that's three fights in a week. Then we've got a week off before things kick off again at the Apex. And I think that's going to be great this year because I felt like there was a there was a moment in 2020 where, listen, we love fights. You know, it keeps us busy. It keeps us employed. And it helps us put food on the table. But it can, even, even for fans, it can become a little bit much where it's every single Saturday night. And... The UFC went on this crazy run of God knows how many weeks it was where it was just event after event after event with no break, hardly at all. So to go back to some normalcy where every, I don't know, three, four, maybe five weeks, you have a week off just to take a bit of a breather and a break. I think that'll be great. That'll be, that'd be good for us. It'll be good for the fans. And it allows them to put in a little bit of extra work when they're building up. And obviously we've got so many great announcements this past week. We've got Miocic versus... In Garnu 2, the rematch that's going down in March, as is Israel Adesanya versus Jan Blahovic, Volkanovsky versus Ortega, and the list just goes on and on. Like March is just absolutely stacked full of I think there's like five title fights, which include I think six UFC or seven UFC championships. It's 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 insane. It's absolutely insane. So I want to give a note about that because I think having a week off after this weekend's Connor fight will again. Give us a little bit of a breather. Let's enjoy the moment, whatever the fallout is with the result this weekend before we can start gearing up again for the, the run of events uh, at the Apex. But yeah, I'm buzzing. I can't wait. We're back in business. We've got fights to talk about. And if you want to follow us on social media, we are at the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter. Simon is at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport on Instagram. I am at Sandu MMA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And for us, the show, the Substack is thebritpack.substack.com. The website is thebritpackmma.com. We're available on Apple, on Spotify. If you're on Apple, please rate and review us. That really helps us on the Apple podcast platform. And finally, last but not least, 
YouTube. The show is available as an audio-only product on our YouTube channel. That is going to be the future of the show. We're going to video soon, probably in the next couple of months, and then it's all about our YouTube channel. So if you're able to go find us on YouTube, you can find it on my profile, Simon's profile, the website, the Substack. Find us on YouTube. Subscribe now. That would really be much appreciated as we get going there on that particular platform. Absolutely. It is a busy, busy year ahead for the UFC. It's going to be a busy year for the Brit Pack as well. And, uh, you know, we've got Bellator to come back online. We've got the PFL getting back in the mix with their 2021 season. Cage Warriors are coming back. One Championship are uh, a hosting show. So 2021 is going to be huge. And uh, hopefully you'll, uh, you'll follow all the action along with us over the course of the next 12 months. Thanks for checking out the show. Don't forget to subscribe, follow us on socials, and we will chat to you again after UFC 257 and all the craziness that's going to go down. We'll talk to you next week.